going, what's wrong with this phone? You know, like yeah. for a millisecond. You well, know? I look at the old phones and say, oh, look at all the wasted space with this damn home button there now. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the notch? I can't find the notch on this phone. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 173 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined as usual by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty. So yeah, let's dive in with some Ask MTJC. What do you got first today, Jaime? This one comes to us by Adam Beardsley, who asks, I've heard great things about the Swift Playgrounds iPad app. Should I buy an iPad Mini 4 so I can use it or hold out for the app to become available on iPhone or Mac? OS. Well, I doubt it's going to come out on the Mac OS, and I also doubt that it's going to come out on, on iPhone. Or, I mean, I'm not saying that it won't. I, the idea behind Apple's Playgrounds implementation is to get young folks into coding, and it makes more sense on a larger environment like, and larger and more accessible environment like an iPad, right? Um, but I thought the I thought the mini, the iPad mini was going away. Didn't you guys think it was going away? I don't know if I would buy I mean, I love the I mini format. Yeah. Now that we've got the big... Uh, Big phones. I thought the iPad Mini was becoming less less of a thing. Yeah, less of a draw because I mean the, the yeah. plus size phone is practically mini sized anyway, right? Right. I mean, I love the, I love the Mini because it's it's like a paperback, right? You know, you can stick it yeah. in your coat pocket and you know. Um, but it's, but the Mini Four doesn't have does it? It doesn't have the True Tone display and all that kind of stuff that they added to the to the the iPad Pro lines, right? And the um, what was the last iPad before the the nine inch, the nine point seven inch one? Remember that before well, they there was the big iPad Pro, right? The 12. That's 12.9, yeah. Nine. And then there was a 9.7 iPad Pro. But now they have a 10.4 or something like that. So I think, I think the, do they still have a mini? Let's, yeah. have, let's have a look at the store. We have technology. We can do that. Yeah, while well, you look that up, uh, I think this one's a slightly different, um, or slightly difficult, I should say, slightly difficult to answer because um, right now we're sort of thinking of it as like, well, you know, if the mini is sort of being somewhat deprecated as a line and we kind of expect that it won't be updated going in the future, uh, what's the longevity of that particular um, device. But in terms of pricing and everything, it's reasonably priced. And um, if they start discontinuing it, you might be able to get one rather cheap on sale, like on a fire sale or a nice refurbished one or something. And if your goal is to... Uh, you know, acquire a device that can get you into the coding side of uh, Swift Playgrounds and, and all of that uh, that, that entails, as opposed to, uh, for those of you probably shaking your fist right now, as opposed to the Xcode Playgrounds on macOS, which are, um, despite sharing the name, are wildly different. It's not quite as friendly an environment for the Playgrounds on macOS versus the Swift Playgrounds, which is a little bit more uh, user-friendly in terms of like, you know, if you're not a professional developer, sort of thing, you're just getting into it. Right, right. Do you think the mm. mini form factor would work well with a, with a with playgrounds, considering how much typing you have to do. Sorry, the mini form factor would or would not? Would, I'm, I'm wondering if you think it would work because when you have to do it, oh, yeah. it's a little bit small for that. Yeah, and playgrounds works in landscape mode too, which, um, well, no, I guess it works in portrait mode too. But you can also do the two thumb thing. I don't know if they, do they not still have the split keyboard, like the Nintendo keyboard that, like, for the people like Jaime, that, so they can hold it and, and type with the two thumbs. They used to have that, right? Mm, I'm I think so. Sure. And I'm looking at, looking at this here. So they still have the, the what they're calling the iPad, which I think is the 9.7. Oh, no, I guess the iPad Pro, the 9-inch iPad Pro is gone, right? Because it had 9.7 before. Now it's 
half inch iPad Pro. So they have two, like the Pros use the pens or pencil, obviously, right? Yeah. I don't think there ever was a, a iPad Pro in the 9.7. That was a standard iPad size. Oh, was it? Okay. So okay. When, okay. Yes. Yeah. So when they came out with the smaller, smaller iPad Pro, yeah. smaller than 12.7, it was just the 10.4 or whatever it is. Now, what's interesting is the, what they're calling the iPad, which is 9.7, yep. is so that's cheaper. What, oh, it start, it's a lower price. It has a 32 gig model. Yeah. Uh, let's see if you to the iPad Air 2, right? Yeah, and if you add uh, if you add um, one twenty, if you choose one twenty eight, it's uh, thirty dollars more than no, it's still cheaper. If you if you if you, oh five seventy nine, sorry, the in Canadian dollars, the um, iPad Mini four is four uh, five forty nine with one twenty eight gig because there's only one option for the iPad Mini, which is why I think it might be going away. Although it's one twenty eight, so it's not bad. Hmm. And, and they haven't updated these guys in a while, in a couple of years, right? Like they didn't refresh these guys in. Let's go around. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So again, I think it's kind of a hard one to answer. And hopefully, um, Adam, if you're listening to the show and if you can get back to us with a little bit more context, because uh, I think Mark raises another good question of like, well, how suited is the mini for um, just because it's a smaller form factor and there's a lot of typing, how well does that work? Well, that's that's true. And I think generally, I would, uh, if I was getting into this, I would prefer um, an iPad Pro um, for the, the, the size, either the 10 and a half. 10 inch, mean, yeah. inch. But yeah. if you're, I don't know, if you're trying to do this like, on the commute, you know, on the bus or something, and you have rather limited space, a mini might actually be fairly reasonable. I mean, not great in, in terms of like how comfortable it is, but probably more comfortable than trying to have a, a TV trace sized iPad Pro 12 inch device <laughs> or 15 inch MacBook Pro. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I will, I will though, I will, I will counter your argument and say that I, I have used minis for a number of years and I, and I never had a problem typing on them. Okay. Um, it's not quite touchless typing, like because your hands are closer together when you're using it in landscape mode. And you can also get the, I don't know if you can get the smart keyboards, but I know Logitech makes a keyboard for it as well that I've, I've had in the past, right? Um, like a Bluetooth keyboard. So it is possible to to do it. But I mean, I don't know. The But again, the, the phone experience, having used uh, the playgrounds on, on the iPad, there is a lot of touching on the screen, like, you know, as if you would use a cursor kind of thing. And, and that might be a little more difficult to do on a phone. Sometimes I find when you're trying to, you know, do text and edit text and you're trying to put your, your finger on the thing to get the cursor in the right spot on a even on a, a iPhone 10 or a, um, six or like a plus size phone, it's it's challenging, right? So I don't know, it depends on real estate and, and I guess budget too, right? Yeah. One yeah, other, other thing to consider about the Mini is is given that it is a couple of years old technology, it can't run some of the the newer things like AR Kit, for example. Oh, it can't, right? Okay, yeah, not it doesn't have a, a powerful enough chip. So oh, right. uh, so it depends on really it depends on, on on what you want to use it for. If it's if it's purely for using uh, playgrounds. And, and then maybe it's okay. But if you want to use it for more general purpose stuff, keep in mind that it won't be able to run everything. Yeah, I think I think you know, even though I love the format, the size format. Um, yeah, the the it, where it falls short is on on you know, a, this, I don't know, if the, I don't think it has true tone display. You know, and it probably can't support. It doesn't support the pencil for sure. It doesn't support um, Air Kit and some of the newer frameworks. So I, I don't think it's long for this world unless they they plan on updating it. But I got the sense from the rumors that they weren't going to update the iPad Mini, right? Yeah. Isn't there a rumor about a new iPad coming out in the either late winter or early spring that's going to be more like the iPhone 10? No home. Oh, button. really? Uh, yeah, I heard something about that somewhere. Oh, with the with the notch and everything and and Face ID and stuff. Well, I don't know about the notch, but you know, but no home button and uh, and and you know the full edge to edge like uh, like the iPhone 10 has. Yeah. So here's a question for you, since we're let's digress for a minute. Sidebar here. Um, 
now that you've had the iPhone 10 for a week, how do you find the whole not having a home button issue? Oh, I I love the phone overall. It's a it's a great yeah. phone. I still find myself every once in a while I have to Google how do I do something. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> well, like like just today, I, I realized I didn't know how to kill an app. Uh, oh yeah. On yeah. the old phone, you would you would double double uh, click the home button and then slide up, but that doesn't work anymore on the iPhone 10 for two reasons. One one you can you can't there's no home button to double click and and once you do get into the uh this whatever what the whatever the mode is that displays all the different apps sliding up does not kill it it just uh it just it selects it actually yeah 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 so so what you have to do is is hold uh, hold down on the on the app that you want to delete and a little delete button pops up just like on the springboard and you have to hit that delete button and then that kills the app you can also when you get into that delete mode you can actually also swipe up and it'll delete the uh, it'll kill the app oh you can okay yeah yeah well, yeah so it'll mm-hmm. at least direct for you there you know <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 paradigm is a little weird, and it's funny. I, I sometimes find myself subconsciously when I go to use the phone, and I you know I've had it for three weeks now, I guess, right? When I go use use the phone, and I know it's a Touch ID function that I want to do, I find myself resting my thumb on the on the home indicator, thinking, "Oh yeah," mm-hmm. like forgetting that that it's Face ID, not Touch ID. So, mm-hmm. but then again, I I still have my six plus here, and when I pick it up on you know when I've got it at home or whatever, and I find myself constantly swiping on the screen, thinking, and then looking at it for a second, going, "What's wrong with this?" phone you know like yeah. for a millisecond you well know? i look at the old phones and say oh look at all the wasted space with this damn home button there now <laughs> <laughs> yeah and where's the notch i can't find the notch on this phone yeah exactly yeah. the notch yeah, is yeah. a lot less of a problem than uh than our uh collective uh yeah anxiety yeah was thought yeah. it was going to be yeah well like i said you spend most of your time looking at the center of the screen or down at the home button area where you if you're going to do like uh swiping up or whatever or even just uh and i found that we talked about the inverted J thing where you want to go and, and like bring your finger up and, and sort of do a backward J to get the, uh, you know, to get the, the apps coming up, the apps that are running in the background. But I find now if you just hold your slide up and hold your finger, it, it does the same effect. So you don't have to do the inverted J anymore. Just swipe and hold from the bottom screen, right? Have you tried that? Uh, yeah. That's... Yeah. And well, when we first initially got them, we I think um, I'm going to throw Ryan McLeod under the bus because I think he's the one that talked about the inverted J um, as a sort of technique to get the previous apps to sort of come up, but yeah, it's not not really, I guess maybe it's a curvaceous swipe to the left sort of thing, but, but I find I'm just able to swipe up from the bottom and hold. Now, Thank is you. there a way to bring up that uh, app selector from the springboard without actually being in an app? I don't think so. Well, um, oh, actually, yeah. You no, can, no, yeah, you can swipe you, up from the sp- okay. springboard too. Uh, yeah. Springboard. yeah, yeah, you can do that. It's a gesture. It's a gesture overall. It's not necessarily tied to any particular app or whatever, yeah. Right. But right. I, I find it super handy when I want to switch between apps because I do a lot of copying and pasting and stuff like that, or, you know, I want to sometimes I'll have an app in the background like if I'm looking at a, an app and it wants a, a login password or whatever I might open one password or something or a note or whatever and I'll, I'll use that technique to get the other one up and just you know slowly start to swipe and just so I could peek enough of what's on the on the previous app and then go back to the, the main app have you ever done that like you know if you're trying to copy some information from one place to another like a string or email address or what have you I do that a lot too so I find it kind of handy yeah overall though I, I really like it yeah and it's a great looking screen eh yeah, it sure is. Especially at night. Yeah. And it's amazing how the, the, the I th- I'm still amazed at how the face ID works. And mind you, because it's, it's infrared and the test, that's like magic, right? Um, but like, you know, using the, using the face ID in the dark, or, you know, it just blows me away. <laughs> and I love access. I still love access to the, uh, the camera and the, and the flashlight without having to actually open the app, right? Or mm-hmm. open the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. And I love, I just love the, uh, the, the fact that the phones have lights in general. Like I, my furnace broke down the other day. And so I had to go and I didn't go investigate why it wasn't starting up and then 
on um, in my investigations, I went on YouTube and I found out how to how to fix what I thought the problem was. And so I had my my phone underneath the furnace with the with the flashlight pointing up, so I could see where the screw was that I needed to take out. So and that kind of stuff you just couldn't do in the past. You know, you'd have to go find some light and whatever. So these phones are becoming super almost indispensable. Mm-hmm. Just need a nut driver on them or a you know, Robertson or Phillips screwdriver on them, right? <laughs> like a Swiss Army knife where the blade yeah yeah out a of- smart Swiss Army oh. knife yeah <laughs> for sure. All right, let's move on. Um, okay, so we got some follow up here. How many of you can take the first one here? Yes, we've uh, talked about Apple's uh, search ads before, and uh, these would be the ones that you would have for the App Store if you you know want to make sure that your app shows up you know for whatever your particular app may be, uh, keywords and, and sort of thing, and it works on a um, a CPM, a cost per impression sort of thing. So you're essentially paying for for views and hoping that many of those turn into uh, actual installs and in, in positive uh, return on investment for users uh, that you know, buy your app or buy your in-app purchase and whatnot. Um, I think a big problem that people ran into is like, well, it's kind of hard to play in that world because there are lots of companies with huge budgets that can pay for that sort of thing. Uh, and it's kind of hard to compete with Coca-Cola, for example. But now um, that experience is now search ads advanced and they've introduced another form called search ads basic where you're paying per install. So regardless of how many people see your ad, as far as I understand, you will only pay for the actual so that's I think something a little bit more accessible for um, indie developers, right? Like, All right, well, I'll pay, you know, $1.25 for every user that will install. Um, and you hope that you get seen uh, many times, but even if you're seen a thousand times, rather than paying for the thousand impressions and, you know, one or two users installing, in this case, you'll actually pay for just the user installs. But if you're only paying, if you're only charging $1.99 for your app, I mean, can you say, is it a proportional to the cost of your app or is it, is it a flat rate per per purchase? I think it's still one of those uh, auction sort of things. So uh, if you bid a dollar and I bid a dollar and one penny, I think I end up winning that particular um, auction, right? Um, so right, right. Consider that sort of ad spend you're looking for and hope you can sort of um, find inefficiencies somewhere where like, oh, nobody's searching for this particular term. And by golly, that's a term that's very popular than having success on. Well, I didn't know about you guys, but I got a bunch of emails from Apple about this program yesterday. Did you guys get those? Yeah, I did. I didn't get a bunch. Just got one. I think I have three or four different accounts, so that's probably why I got one. But um, and then what? It offers a hundred dollar credit or something like that towards your first bunch of them. Is that what you guys got? Oh, I didn't actually read the email. Yeah, I saw the email, but it wasn't <laughs> clear if that was a, a generic email or if that was like because remember when they launched the previous search ads experience, they also gave everybody a hundred dollars credit. Is this you know, name for that credit? So it says here, introducing search ads basic. Get Apple qu- get quality app installs with a minimum effort at a predictable cost, start with $100 USD credit. And it says, pay only for installs that you, at a cost that you choose while intelligent automation maximizes the results. Spend up to $5,000 per app per month and easily track your performance. So I guess that's the the basic is you're not going to spend any more than $5,000 a month. Um, when, when it says you choose your price, so you, you're really choosing your bid, as Jaime was saying. So right, you, right. you choose your price to be a dollar. Uh, but if somebody else is choosing their price to be a dollar ten 
they'll probably get 10% more impressions than you'll get. Yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, aren't, they, aren't they like kind of um, trying to even out the playing field there for people? I mean, like, you know, obviously the people who bid more are going to get more odds to, to appear, but let's see, do they actually have, do they make it fair, fair enough, right? So like maybe like 80% of the time, the guy who pays more than you would get uh, exposures and you well, get right, like, right. you know. So yeah, so that's what I say. So, you know, if, if, if you bid 10% higher, you'll probably get 10% more impressions. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. 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 But mm. you'll still get impressions if, if even with the lower price. Yeah. I know if you pay, if you bid 10 cents and somebody else bids a hundred dollars, then you're almost never going to get an impression, but it'll still be, you know, whatever 10 cents out of a hundred dollars is that percentage. Time, roughly. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not strictly linear. The, these, these guys have lots of uh, algorithms to determine exactly how many they get. Mm. Uh, so, so the, the cost per install actually is, is, uh, is actually not new uh, in general. It's new for Apple search ads, but it's been around for years uh, in both Google and Facebook. So it's good that Apple is now catching up there. That's true. And, and just in terms of the, like the question is why advertise here at the top of their um, about page. And, and I do know that there, you, you won't get anywhere if you don't advertise, even if you just advertise, even if you get a couple of installs. Right. So I think it's, yeah. it's probably better to try it than, than not. Um, I mean, if, and if you have nothing to lose, you're just basically, you're basically giving up part of what you would make on the app. If you're, you know, obviously you're not going to do it for free, but uh, if you're selling an app that, uh, yeah. you know, the smart money is don't pay more than you, you earn from the app. Right. Right. But, uh, right. Yeah. Now, so I haven't tried the search ads, uh, but I have tried this kind of thing with, with Google and Facebook. And in my personal experience, uh, I've found that it, it really doesn't ever pay off for paid apps. Right. Uh, right. Because the volume is so much lower. Uh, and so you, to, in order to get any, you know, any kind of clicks, you need to have a, a high bid uh, to get the volume up. Uh, and it's, it's almost impossible to, to get any installs at a lower price than you're charging for the app. So, so it doesn't really work. So, but where it does work really well is for, uh, apps that have high volume and, and, uh, you know, maybe they're, they're free to install, but they have a, an ongoing revenue stream, like a freemium model where, where you're, you know, you're buying chips or buying, uh, uh, cows for your farm, right? Or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, so if you have an ongoing revenue, so, so each user, uh, isn't just capped to one purchase price of the app, but but there's a long-term uh, revenue stream. That's when this stuff actually really can work pretty well for you. Yeah, I wonder. Um, hmm. But it may be different with with search ads because they're right there in the app store, and with the other with the other vendors, uh, the uh, the they're not right. You have to go to either uh, a Google search or somewhere, or or a, you know banner app in some other app, or banner ad rather in some other app, or or your Facebook stream or somewhere else to see these ads. And so there's a there's a level of effort or disconnect from seeing it to actually going to the app store and, and downloading it. Whereas with search ads, since they're right there at the top of your app store screen, maybe conversion is higher. It's, it's certainly possible. Yeah, well, so yeah, I mean, the one thing I was going to say about, about uh, just the app store in general, I've noticed a drop in um, sales from when the new app store came into being and, and it may be part of this whole um, search ads as well. Because and, and we talked about, I think we talked about this, I don't know if I left it in the show or not, but we talked about where device tracker was ranking um, last week, I guess, when when uh, Greg was on the show. And um, did, I, did you listen to the episode, Jaime? Yeah, I remember us wondering, like, why the heck kayak.com, for example, shows up when I search. Oh, so I did, yeah, because for some reason, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, even though I've had the name longer than anybody else on the store, other people have sort of taken part of my name and, you know, added more to it or, you know, made a longer statement out of it. And 
Yeah, there were some uh, some odd ads that were sort of odd affinity in terms of ads that were showing up above my my search term and or the term we were looking for. And yeah, so I, and like I said, just in general, I've noticed the revenue of my app. I, I, I'm not sure if it's quite in half, but it is significantly lower. Never, I mean, it's never really been a big seller anyway. And it's not, again, maybe a horrible example because it's not, you know, the world's best app either, right? So um, I'd be interested to hear what people like uh, Curtis Herbert, you know, I wonder what his experience is like with this because he's he's obviously got an app that sells well or even or even Ryan McLeod with, uh, with Blackbox, right? Because they've got lots of, you know, lots of good favorable reviews and people use their apps and I wonder what their experience is like. So mm-hmm. what do you think, Mark? I don't know. Yeah, it, it would be really interesting to find out. I have to be honest, I haven't really been following my apps uh, mm-hmm. lately because I've been busy with other stuff. Yeah. So I, I should I should check that out. I should take a look. Yeah, I wonder. I, I mean, I only get like one deposit a month or every couple of months. So I'm not sure how often it is, but I, I kind of, you know, mm-hmm. with half a half a mind or half an eye, I kind of notice what that it's uh, it's been lower. I did I did get caught in that that uh, Chinese spike that we were talking about. I think uh, on the show as well that um, for a month or so I got a whole bunch of hits, and then I think uh, I think Greg was saying that there was um, some Chinese people were trying to game the game the validity of some of their their false accounts by by buying up apps, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, which is kind of strange. Anywho, that's interesting. So yeah, we'll have to have to keep an eye on this uh, subject. I know that um, on release notes they talk about uh, search ads quite a bit. I think uh, Joe Chaplinski has talked a few times in some of his talks about using search ads as well, I think, right? Yeah. And I think the one tip I would have is that unless there's a really, really near term um, milestone that's coming up for you, like, I don't know, like the holidays, for example, um, I might actually wait a little while before using your $100 credit because right oh, now your, credit, yeah, yeah. your brother is using it. So you're not going to get as effective a use as to when everybody spends their $100 and then you could be the only one spending your $100. Sure. Let's see what the fine print here says. Um, yeah. Is there a specific expiration date? I didn't see one. Eligible developers who sign up for search ads will have $100 US credit applied to their account. That's all it says. It says US App Store. I don't know. It doesn't say anything specific about it. Hmm. We'll have to go and read the fine print, I guess. Okay. All right. So moving on. Um, last week we had uh, we had a bit of a discussion. I think we were talking, I think I was, when I was talking about the Swift 4 um, migration uh, challenges, Mark was asking us about that. And um, one of the things I observed was that we've had to put uh, AdobeJC back into Swift 4. And um, I think I even asked the guy from the Big Nerd Ranch about it. Hey, Mikey, about um, the at, use of AdobeJC. And at the time he was saying that it was, it was about exposing um, the compiler to the fact that you're using something that may require calling an object, Objective-C or making it observable by Objective-C or visible, I guess. So our friend of the show and sometimes host, Greg Hio, uh, who runs a little website called Swift Unbox, which I'm sure gets a fair amount of traffic, has taken on the um, subject of at ObjectC and the dynamic keyword to find out what they, in fact, mean in the world of Swift and how they relate. So he's got this, uh, he used an analogy when he did a talk on switching your brain to Swift, which is a talk he gave back in 2015 at uh, 360 IDEV and other places, where he talked about going back and forth between uh, Swift and Objective-C as being like a semi-permeable membrane where it's easy to get things from Objective-C into Swift, but not necessarily that easy to get back to Objective-C. And using this uh, at Objective-C decorator um, is a way of, of letting the, the um, compiler know that this your Swift code is meant to be visible by Objective-C and using Dynamic, I believe calls Dynamic Dispatch, although we don't have Dynamic Dispatch in Swift, he was saying. Um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at this article at all, but it's suggested, yeah. su- suggest having a look at it. Um, Greg kind of breaks it down and, you know, uses lame 
Simon type uh, analogies to explain um, how uh, what happens in in these in, in when these worlds are called by the by the uh, compiler. Um, he likes to take it. He as he says, he goes down to the machine code. Doesn't quite go that far, but uh, but he does uh, sort of break it down in terms of what these uh, various things mean um, in terms of how they're how the compiler handles them right as it passes them into Objective C and so and, and back and forth. So it's not a short read, but it's not super super deep. But if you're interested in it, I definitely suggest you take a look. Um, yeah. So it, and, and sort of keeping up with the speeding up uh, Swift compile times. This is another, sort of a follow up to uh, what we talked about two weeks ago. I think um, this is another article. This one this time it's in part of the Medium or under the Hacker Noon um, banner. A gentleman named Dejan Atanasov has posted a piece here called "Speed Up Swift Compile Time," and he, he talks about um, a few things. But one thing that came out of this uh, uh, quickly was, and it's, I think we talked about this as well, was the um, dec- how you declare uh, arrays, especially in, or how, sorry, how you declare um, variables, rather than uh, letting the Swift compiler infer everything. Uh, he says specifically uh, name the types that are using. So in the example here, he's got let array uh, and he's got colon and square bracket and in the bracket string equals and then he's got his his members in in their string format. So but by saying that let the array equal uh, you know basically make it an array of strings explicitly as opposed to saying let array equal and then assigning it an array, right? Um, that sort of speeds up uh, some of the Swift compile time. Another another trick is to avoid the nil coalescing operator. Um, so instead of you know doing the double question mark and uh, letting the compiler decide whether or not a value is true or not, use a use an if statement with a if else um, uh, type statement to to do that. Um, and so basically avoid ternary conditional operators as well. Yeah. So use uh, like you know an if else statement there as well. These seems these things seem to speed up the compiler as well and more advanced things like. I'm a big fan of the ternaries. You're not. I am. I'm a big. You fan. are. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's nice to have it on one line of code. I, I agree. Like it's, it seems to be a thing. I'm not sure that. Well, I guess it's. Uh, I guess you'd have to try it out and see in in your code base, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. How, how large is your code base? I mean, are we, are we talking like you know hundreds of files, Mark? Or yes. Or, yeah. Okay. So, and you you seem to be. You said you said you've noticed significant improvements in compile times, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like it. Yes. You know, and I, I'd have to admit, I think that's true for us too, because I think that I mean, I was doing a, a quick compile today of our master branch, and it probably took about you know maybe four or five minutes to sort of compile, whereas before it was like easily ten minutes. So I think I think nine point one definitely is faster. Mm-hmm. Um, nine point two came out yesterday, I think, or the day before. I don't know if you guys have tried that yet. I have. Yeah. yeah. And how is it? Uh, I don't notice any difference between nine point one and nine point two. Was it what? Uh, it was a bit of a short diff file. Did you have a look at it? And is there anything significant in it? I think the main reason was to support X uh, to support iOS eleven point two. Eleven point two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was uh, Apple the new Apple Pay cash. Oh, oh the Apple Cash thing. Uh, okay, right. Oh, okay, right. Huh. Which of course doesn't apply to any of us outside of the United States. Well, at the very least, you also get the um, the fix the patch for the December 2nd um, bug related to local notifications. What was that one? Oh. Remember the one that oh, like, right. Australia yeah, saw yeah. first, like the stroke of midnight or, or 12.15, uh, their local time was causing the springboard, I think, to repeatedly crash. Yeah, I was disappointed by that. I didn't get to try it out. And, and I, I thought it was all notifications, but apparently it was third-party app, third, uh, local notifications, right? Were causing the problem? I think so, but don't quote me on it because I'm not 100% sure. I, I didn't see the behavior happen myself, and I have updated to iOS 11.2, which we will talk a little bit about 
later in this episode, but um, I, I was one of the lucky ones, I guess. Yeah, but I thought it was only applying to, or I guess it was applying to everybody. It didn't really matter where you were geographically, right? But because uh, I know Randy Ritchie tweeted about it like shortly after midnight, if I'm not mistaken, because we were, I was still on the air with you guys. I think we were chatting for about something. Um, and I think one of you guys pointed it out to me, right? I mean, probably. Yeah, because I was waiting Pacific time, seeing as you're three hours ahead. I was like, well, if Tim hasn't run into it yet, probably all right. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, anyway, that's uh, anything more on this speeding up uh, compile times? We did talk about the build, build time a- analyzer. Where's that from? Oh, it's a GitHub project. Interesting. So the build time analyzer for Xcode will analyze your code and tell you which parts of your code are taking the most time to compile. I guess that's where they got some of their optimization tricks from. Mm. Interesting. Remove the DSIM from debug. I thought we were adding it in. Mm. DSIM takes a long time. Yeah. Mm. All right. So we're into the main piece there. So, I mean, why don't you take us into the world of Apple world? Sorry, let's let's rephrase that. Take us into the advantages that living in the United States and working with Apple products has for us now. <laughs> At least as of uh, this particular recording. Yes, yes, sir. As we mentioned, iOS 11.2 is out and that enables Apple Pay cash functionality, as was talked about at WWDC. As Tim points out, this is an international podcast. So uh, unfortunately, this is USA only. Um, but it's actually quite swell. I mean, it worked really seamlessly on the iPhone and uh, I'd forgotten about the fact they mentioned it was on Apple Watch as well. So if you are uh, using the Messages app on either your phone or your watch, uh, assuming you've you've set it up and if you've already set up Apple Pay to begin with, it's actually pretty simple. It's, it's very kind of similar. Um, if you're in the Messages app, you'll see the little button kind of um, underneath the little App Store icon that will say uh, you know, the Apple symbol and, and Pay and it's kind of a black logo. And when you hit that, it brings up a little sort of picker interface and if you could, you know, press up or down, it increments and decrements by whole dollars. You can tap the little um, dollar amount to show a keypad if you wanted to send, I don't know, a dollar ninety nine to somebody. And you can request or pay somebody through that. And it sends it uh, pretty nicely and easily. It goes right into their messages and they'll see a little uh, bubble. It's like, hey, so-and-so is, is trying to pay you. And in my case, I've configured mine so it uh, requires manually accepting the payments. Uh, of course, you can automatically accept payments as well. And it works sort of like this interesting virtual card. Um, as far as I, I can see here, I see card details. It has an actual like device account number and it has a PIN number, interestingly enough, and a, uh, a network setup. And mine is set up as a, a Discover Debit network. So that's a little bit of detail, I guess, how they do it behind the scenes. Um, but you can add money to it. You can transfer it to your bank. Um, if you don't have any funds in it, like mine had nothing in it and I sent Mark a dollar, that pulled out of my Apple Pay uh, related uh, banking card. And I, I can see the transactions on here quite nicely. And with that overall, a pretty smooth, neat experience. It's, uh, of course, if you're thinking about payment solutions, you're wondering, well, how does this compare to other things? Well, yeah, that's kind of the tough thing that here we are sitting at the tail end of 2017. And um, this is actually a really good one in that as time goes on, uh, this is just going to be part of the device, right? I can expect that just about every uh, friend I know or family member who has an iPhone is probably going to set this up so they can send money back and forth. So it gets around some of the networking effect problems that uh, PayPal or Square Cash or Venmo have. And I have just about all those. And every time it's like, oh, let's split a bill with somebody. Okay, great. Do you have this? No. Do you have this other thing? No. Do you have this other thing? No. Um, and even right now, of course, since this is a USA only launch, uh, I can't. And so, Apple you know, only, right? Does, does it work with Android? No? No. It, it's it's uh, it's iOS only. Um, right. So it, it's, it's yet another entry, but I think it's an entry that's uh, got a powerful network effect in that it's basically installed with the phone. It, it isn't like, hey, let me convince you to go use some other app and create an account and all 
all sorts of other things. Odds are pretty right. good. So, you've got an iPhone, you probably have Apple Pay set up. But if you don't, it's actually sure. easy to do because you almost certainly have an iTunes account set up to buy music or apps or movies. Yeah. So I have a question about this. So um, is it does it work with the Apple Pay? Can you use a debit card or you have to use a Visa card for this uh, purpose? Do you know? I don't know the, the specifics, but considering that um, in my case, I have my, my Apple Pay card is a credit card. Um, and I saw that it charged me a dollar plus uh, three three cents. So I'm assuming that's like a 3% ish transfer fee if you're to use credit cards. And I've not yet tried it with a debit card, but I would have to imagine they're probably using uh, the automated clearinghouse, also known as ACH, that I would guess would be uh, fee free or at least a very uh, small fee. Um, this is similar to like uh, yet another payments, uh, Facebook and, and many others, when they uh, have their like pay within our app sort of thing, they push really hard for you to use a debit card because it's less costly for them to do the ACH side where they can do tens of thousands of these things all at once and pay a, a sort of a stable rate versus going through the credit cards where MasterCard, Visa, Discover, right. so forth charged like for every transaction. There's like a, right. a pay the gatekeeper sort of thing. Yeah, the reason I ask is I, I just started using Ritual, which is, uh, I don't know if you use Ritual app, it's for um, ordering food at fast food places or, you know, various, like even healthy food places. But the idea is it presents the menu to you and you can pick an item from it and they have specials at certain venues. I guess it's a way for them to get, you know, drive traffic to those venues as well. And um, so like, you know, if I'm going down for lunch, you know, uh, I can avoid the, the line by using the Ritual app. But I tried it out today and it uses Apple Pay as the pay mechanism, but it wouldn't let me use my debit card for like a $10 order. It wanted me to use my Visa card, which I found, you know, kind of surprising. But now I don't know if that's my bank specifically or if it's something about the Ritual app or... But I just kind of wondered, like, like it would seem to me that if it's cash, it'd be great. And we don't really have... I mean, we have... Um, we can send money to each other here in Canada. We use that Interact, right? Um, we have this... It's a system that's been around forever between the banks and uh, we've been able to send each other... Uh, you've been able to... That's how we've been paying for things over the years with our bank cards, right? Um, and it's cash from a, from a, like a savings or checking account. Um, but we don't... We never really had a sort of way to send money to each other. Although they've just added Interact cash to, I think, most bank cards. So for instance, I can send you money directly. And the difference is that instead of going through the traditional Interact thing, like, like you were saying, the automatic deposit thing can be applied to your account as well, right? So if I was to send you, you know, $20, Jaime, it would, it would, you, I would just get a notification that it's been sent to you and you didn't have to go through the sort of, you know, click on the thing and log into your account or whatever. You, if you'd already set up this automatic deposit, it would go in. So it was similar to how Venmo works or, or Square, right? Square up is what they call it. Uh, Square cash. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the whole, but the whole, I mean, having seen you guys in, in the States using Venmo and Square and that kind of stuff to, you know, share cab fare and, and uh, meals and stuff like that. Um, it's something we definitely need. We would have a market for here in, in Canada, at least I'm sure in Europe as well. Right. So, um, and especially like, you know, it's in this day of fintech, I mean, it just makes perfect sense that, you know, even if, even if I'm sending you Canadian dollars paying in an American bill, you know, it, you know, you'd think that the, the system would be able to do the conversion for you as well. Right. So, so does the money, this ACH thing, is it like 
like um, like an escrow house kind of thing, or like it handles the transaction between your bank and my bank kind of thing? Is that what that is? Do you it's know? not really uh, an escrow because, uh, funnily enough, the, the reason it's so slow is um, the fact that it's it's largely the banks having to take these promise notes from one person to another and saying, "All right, well, we think it's you know they probably have funds for this," and then actually checking to see if they have the funds, and only once they actually have the funds, be like, "All right, this is going to reconcile. Let's move forward with this." Um, yeah, it, the Interact is kind of a similar system where it it um, it used to be com- it used to be like a dollar twenty five or something like that, but there are there are more fees now involved in it. But generally speaking, it's about a bu- buck and a quarter if I want to send you some money, right? Um, but what happens is as soon as I say I'm sending you the money, it's withdrawn from my account, right? So it, it automatically goes into into Interact's hands, and it's not like you know thirty seconds later you get an email or or a ping or whatever on your on your thing. It might be like an hour later or something like that, right? Just enough time for them to go play the market for a few minutes. You know, I'm kidding, but um, but there is a bit of a lag, and and I, it may be similar thing. Like, so is there a time lag in this ACH thing? Like, is it like an hour or so, or is it like a day or? So um, don't quote me on this because I I'm, I think it's changing uh, within the United States soon or might have changed already. But it it was like three business days, and it's a big deal that they're moving it uh, across many of the banks. Probably at least the big four uh, have all agreed. I think to do it um, the big four in the U.S. of course uh, to do it within a day. I think they think they've upgraded the system because sort of like how the sausage is made. It is uh, I don't know what the new system is like, but the the old system was essentially a whole bunch of batch files that are FTP'd back and forth. Oh, I see. Right. I, oh, so that's you have to wait for the your batch your batch to get assembled and yeah and, and go kind and, of thing, right? And there's like certain times of the day. I was like, oh, well, look, uh, just to make it up, it's like, oh, look, it's eight a.m. Let's see if there's any batch files. Oh, nothing. All right. Well, we'll check again at noon. Okay. Well, let's check again at four p.m. You know that sort of thing. And uh, so if you if you miss like the 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 last train, so to speak, you're you're going to wait a whole another business day. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, really? Oh, hmm. It's not like it'll come at like ten thirty at night kind of thing. I don't know the exact schedule, but it's definitely a um, a very limited sort of like a train schedule sort of thing. And it's uh, right. And right. even that F, the the FTP route is an enhancement over what used to be where banks would like meet in some particular location uh, with their trucks and they would hand each other bags or suitcases or boxes full of checks. It's like, oh, yeah. you, hey, we got a whole bunch of stuff. You know, we're Bank of America. Hey, we're going to, we got stuff for Wells Fargo. Okay, here you go, Wells Fargo. Hey, Wells Fargo, give me the ones for Bank of America. You know, <laughs> it's really kind of weird how uh, that whole system works. And so the ACH side is uh, in it, it's a definite improvement, but um, not as nice and neat as having instantaneous access to funds. Hmm. All right. Well, for those of you out there who, you know, driving at home want to know how to, how this works, I've got a link here for, and, you know, the Canadians can read it to sort of lament on how it might work for us in the future. But um, there's a link here from 9to5Mac on how to set up and use Apple Pay Cash um, on your phone, on your device. And it's similar to what Jaime was talking about with the uh, setting it up and, and then the sending and so forth, so forth. So, oh, you have to be 18 years of age and older. You have to be running a nine point, oh, sorry, 11.2 or watch OS 4.2. Must have an iCloud or iMessage account with the same Apple ID using and using two-factor authentication. Interesting. Have an eligible debit or credit card. Yeah, again, so eligible means it must be uh, approved by your bank as well to participate in this program, which is probably why it's taking a while to roll out to other countries. Um, let's see. Yeah, we, we've been talking about this cash thing for a while. So this wasn't talked about at by Apple officially, or when when did we find out that this was coming? Do you know? I thought it was mentioned at WWDC. 
But I, was it? Not, I couldn't remember. Yeah. But they didn't give a definitive time. It was just, oh, iOS 11 allows you. And then, of course, iOS 11 came out and people were like, so where's it at? And where's, where's my money? Yeah. <laughs> where's my money? <laughs> where's my money? Show me the money. All right. Well, interesting stuff. Well, I guess it was on the beta too, right? 11.2 beta. Yes. Wait, cool. oh, wait, hold on. Was it? Yeah, I guess it was because I think I remember hearing folks um, talking about that. Yeah, it was, a vi- it was a video down here. First look at Apple Pay Cash, you know, iOS 11 beta 2 and we'll watch, watch 4.2 beta 2. So who knows when that was made. It's on YouTube. It's on the 9 to 5 website as well. They have a little video at the bottom of that one too. Cool. Nito Pichikino. All right. Um, and then we have the story of the day. I mean, you can lead into this one too. Yeah, just, you know, speaking of things that were announced at WWDC and people were wondering, where the heck are they? And, and even this week, there were multiple articles that came out and said, what the hell? Uh, I thought this was like by the end of the year, where is this thing? And this thing we're talking about is the Amazon Prime Video app for Apple TV. Is uh, It's out. You can go out and download it and, and use it. I don't know if it's restricted in any way by, by region. I'm going to assume mm. the United States is in there for sure. Your mileage great <laughs> if you're in other countries, so I apologize if it's not available in your region. Um, oh man, you promised. <laughs> I have not been able to try this because I do not own an Apple TV. Um, oh, you don't. Oh, but I've I've seen the link here. I've seen uh, some descriptions for some of my uh, friends and colleagues who, who do have it. And uh, Tim, maybe you should tell us about some of the feedback related to this TVOS app. Yeah, well, so it was not so much about the service as the way the app was designed. And I'm just looking for the link here. Uh, yeah, so I linked to, um, I think it's our friend Justin, Justin Williams, right? Yes. Um, he was sort of, I guess he was responding to the fact that uh, some people had com- complained that it looks like a web app in an, in an iOS wrapper, and uh, essentially, because it apparently looks very similar to the, to the app that's on the smart TVs, which I'll have to go and look at, because I do have the uh, Amazon Prime on my, on my TV here. Um, which comes up under the web apps or kind of sort of uh, suspect this may be true. But um, yeah, so and people were complaining about the fact that it uh, looks looks pretty chintzy and pretty cheesy, right? So um, there's more replies in here now. So yeah, um, somebody had said that um, they had compared it. And it's not in this tweet that I've got here, but I was reading as well so online that they had compared it to the app that's on their smart TV, but um, that it didn't quite look exactly the same. So it may, the execution may be slightly different. But that's what uh, I guess it's kind of it's kind of wooden in terms of its experience. But then I find that the the app on the smart TV isn't all that great either. I don't know if you have a familiar, if you if you have an opinion on that. I may. Yeah, um, <laughs> the the smart TV version of actually I can't think of any smart TV app that's actually good. Even Netflix is just terrible. <laughs> Amazon is, is just as terrible on, on smart TVs. And from what I can tell, the UI for this looks a lot like those. And it reminds me of so I long time. Wrote Roku user. And I remember when Amazon Video first came out on the Roku years ago, it looked terrible. I mean, the the experience was completely off. It didn't feel like a like even a basic Roku uh, channel app. It didn't feel as slick as uh, Netflix's um, before Netflix completely revamped it and made by far the industry leading um, TV experience, uh, at least on, on Roku. I don't, again, since I don't have an Apple TV, I can't compare. And But at least Amazon made it better. Um, so they've got their very specific Kindle uh, Fire, uh, yes, Kindle Fire TV um, des, uh, design experience that they have on their Fire TV devices. And if you sort of squint, you can see how that experience has been translated to what the Roku provides. I had assumed they would do the same for the Apple TV app, and they really didn't. It, it doesn't look like the modern Fire TV experience. It looks like the weird bastardized version I remember seeing on the Roku before.
or years ago, back in like 2011, 2012, probably. So it's it's a rather disappointing sort of thing here. And it, uh, as Justin Williams says, like, oh, <laughs> have convinced that Apple granted Amazon an entitlement to access a tvOS web view to get Prime Video on the Apple TV. It looks and behaves right. yeah, really yeah. identical to the HTML5 one, um, just because it looks like a, a like a terrible effort. It, it doesn't look like uh, like anything other than scramble to get it out or spend the least amount of effort was put into it. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it, even in the first link here that we have in the show notes, like Justin Williams says, like it actually takes effort to make a bad, to make a bad app, app, yeah. Right, like if you use the uh, the stuff, the UI components that are right out of the box, it, it, it looks pretty good. generic, but pretty good. Works pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And it was Jason Snell that said it didn't look, it looks a little different than the smart TV counterpart. Um, so I can just, have you looked at this app at all, Hami, yet? Or have you tried it? Or you don't have an Apple TV? Never mind. Don't have an Apple TV to try it, but... I take uh, that back. You know, even if it is a terrible app, you're not going to be navigating through the app that much. You're going to turn on, you know, Man in the High Castle or Transparent. Yeah, or you watch it. Watch uh, Wonder Woman or something. Like, you're you're not going to be fiddling around with it too much. I don't, in terms yeah. of objective positivity here, uh, that paradox, um, I don't feel like it's... A huge issue. Like I think no. longtime listeners of the show will know like a big reason why I've stuck with the Roku platform for so long is that the lack of Amazon Prime video on the Apple TV for whatever reason. I don't even care. Apple oh, Amazon, okay, I, okay. that's that's between them. The fact of the matter is as a consumer, the Apple TV until recently did not have every uh, channel that I needed to consume content the way that I want to. So I've stuck with the Roku because the Roku uh, did have that. Now mm-hmm. even if it's not a great experience, even if it's a generally bad experience which I can't you know, say for sure because I haven't used it myself, at least it is an experience. Like at least it is there. And now the equation does change. Like, well, you know, does Roku gives up the ghost or, you know, I decide to upgrade to the uh, Apple TV, what, fifth generation, I think would be next year if they come out with a new one. It's actually a player there. I might say, oh yeah, maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe I'll go ahead and go with that. Oh, and oh, by the way, I get the bonus of having uh, iTunes related um, stuff on there and, and AirPlay 2.0, you know, that sort of thing. So I think it's generally good for both Amazon and Apple for this to exist. It's kind of disappointing, you know, coming out of the gate, but it's not as if it is a thing that will be permanent. I would imagine that um, just the the customer support request alone would convince Amazon to do another revision that will be better. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's like you're watch, just watching TV. Like it could be, it could be as as engaging as a rotary dial. Like you know, when you're watching TV, you're flipping through shows, right? It's funny that I guess in in this sort of world of having, uh, like you know, uh, you, what do you see in in most apps? now you just go and you see a bunch of like uh, images and you click on the image and get more information about it decide whether you want to watch the show or not right so you're basically judging books by their cover and and i mean how extensive an app does it need to be for that i mean what do you what do you really need to put into that kind of app right you're like looking at a bookshelf yeah like how much how much you know dynamic animation can you put into a bookshelf right yeah if i am some you know when i'm visiting my parents um over the holidays if i somehow find a way to live with um i guess it's not comcast what is it time Warner's terrible, you know, video on demand UI, and we find a way to put something on during Christmas to have in the background or, or maybe to entertain the kids, you can deal with it, right? Like, <laughs> regardless of how terrible Amazon's implementation here is, it's got to be 10 times better than anything that Comcast or Time Warner can put out in their cable boxes. Yeah, yeah. Full show. Mark, got nothing to say? I haven't tried it yet. I do have an Apple TV, uh, so I will have to try it and see what... Uh, Give it a shot, yeah. You have Prime, right? I do. Yeah, I'm really enjoying Prime. Prime actually this this Christmas season, you know, because yeah, you've um, been buying stuff all over the place, and and actually I I ordered some stuff yesterday with the one day the special one day shipping thing. 
shipping. Have you tried tried that out? I use it all the time now. So the one the one day shipping is it's not a special thing for the holidays. It's always around, is it? Uh, well, some things are are always available one day. I mean, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, not everything, mm-hmm. but some things. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I largely shop. Um, I filter on Prime items, so I know that it's going to ship in two days. Uh, sometimes it'll be one day, as, as Mark mentions, depending on what they happen to have in a warehouse that's near uh, nearby me. And right, right. And Prime now is also available in my area, so that gets you down to uh, two hours for free uh, for a radically sort of reduced set of things. You're not going to, you know, get the crazy. Did they charge, you, did they charge you for the shipping though? Because it's that well, quick. No. Or? So that's two hours. I'm I'm cheap, so I'm I'm willing to wait the two hours to get something. If I really needed something within an hour, I can pay a seven ninety nine fee. They can deliver stuff in an hour. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy. Like the kinds of things that are on the list. Like you know, there's groceries and other things. All right, you know, whatever. Everybody's gonna have bags of potatoes in the warehouse and canned right. soup and stuff. But there'll be oh, yeah. weird things like, oh, did you want an Xbox three sixty or, or I guess a, a Xbox One? Yeah, we got that. Oh, you wanted like that New York Times bestseller? Yeah, we can get that to you in an hour. It's like what? what? <laughs> Like the things that are on the list are crazy. Like, I have awesome? to play Tomb Raider right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't live unless I play Tomb Raider. Get that to me now. Stat. Yeah. Like <laughs> one time I actually used it to get uh, just like for an experiment. I was looking to get um some of these uh luggage packing cubes, you know, like this cube is for underwear and this one's for socks and this one's for t-shirts, that sort of uh sort of mesh zipped up sort of bag sort of thing that you put inside of luggage to help organize the space. That was on <laughs> And protect from bed bugs, is that right? No, no, this isn't <laughs> as far as I know, like it's an Amazon basics one. Side benefit, like, yeah, yeah. Laced with copper or some other sort of anti uh anti bug or antifungal thing. This was literally just normal bags and it was available on Prime now. I was able to get it in two hours. I didn't need to, but I was like, Oh, let me see if that's actually there in the warehouse. I, I didn't even know you could do that, to be honest with you. I mean I, I use Ziploc bags for all my electronic stuff like because I took all my heavy heavy chargers and stuff like that out of my out of my backpack and throw it into my suitcase when I'm getting on a plane. But I didn't know I could have a separate bag for my underwear and a separate bag for my socks, you know. God forbid they should touch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I use I use my socks to pack like the the conference glasses that they give us when when we go to these conferences, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's the socks and underwear underwear for. Anywho, okay, I guess I've killed that subject. Um should we move on to our picks? Sure. All right. So I think I talked about Proton on mail months and months ago when we were talking about, uh, I think I was listening to an episode of the Mac Power Users uh, pro- podcast, and they were talking about a number of things. Um, and I may have been, maybe I'm wrong about it, I was thinking about it, but Proton Mail is a service out of um, Sweden, I think, or Switzerland, where they promise you, and uh, basically it's a, a mailbox uh, currently free that is um, completely encrypted, so from end to end. And um, so I, I had just got it for the the iOS, for iOS the other day. And actually, it's funny. I was watching Ro- uh, Mr. Robot last weekend, right? And at the end of the episode, he logged on to Proton, Proton Mail, which is what made me think of about it, right? So, of course, Mr. Robot, rather than using Hotmail or Gmail or whatever... He of course has to use the encrypted uh, mailbox, right? Where he keeps his he keeps he sends himself messages and and you know stores or sends himself attachments so that he can go back and retrieve them later. 
Um, but if you know Mr. Robot, this is like totally, uh, it's, it's totally, have you ever watched that show, either of you guys? I haven't seen yes. it yet, but I've been hearing about it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah I'm not going to give any, spoilers, no spoilers, but no spoilers. yeah, but so yeah, you, you, once you start to understand, watch the show, you'll, you'll understand what I mean about why he, why it's brilliant that he uses proton mail. Anyway, so they've now come up with a, a, uh, Mac version that ties, that, um, works with Outlook, Thunderbird and Apple mail. Um, so you can have a totally uh, encrypted email service and I think it uses it uses what a uh, bridge that you install on your your machine. Um, so in other words, you use the your standard mail client, and it uh, uses this this end to end bridge that encrypts your mail on the way out and sends it off to the Proton Mail servers, and that's where it's held uh, until you go and retrieve it, or you know through that through their service. So. Interesting little service there. If you're um, if you're getting fitted for a tinfoil hat like uh, like Tammy is, maybe, and you're you're concerned about you know the people out there checking out what you're putting online in the terms of email and that kind of stuff, you may want to think about using Proton Mail. So give it a shot. Check it out. Anyway, so this article here, I'll link is from Nine uh, to Five Mac, talking about the bridge that works with uh, lets you work your your account. Because that's one thing I was wondering about this. Because I have, they give you a Proton Mail account, right? Well, I already have my mail server, and you know, I have my own my own mail. And I was talking about encrypting mail a couple of weeks ago. I still have the the client installed on my end here. Uh, so when I send from my Mac, it, it encrypts my mail and signs it with my um, my PGP signature. So anywho, so that's my pick, Proton Mail. Cool. cool. Paranoid among us. All right, um, honey, you're off. You're up. Yeah, what I've got here is a blog post by. By, um, Paul Hudson on Hacking with Swift. And it's about Apple's new utility library that you can use for command line apps. Um, of course, the big caveat that comes out here is this is not a normal officially supported library. It's actually um, an API that comes out of the Swift Package Manager project that's uh, available on GitHub. But it has some kind of neat things that I would really, really love to see make their way into the uh, normal foundation sort of um, libraries that we have available. So uh, I'll just go sort of like right off the bat in the order. Um, ordered sets would be kind of nice as a data structure. So traditional set doesn't maintain any particular order. If you put something in first, it may or may not be the first thing that you get back out when you enumerate it. Um, Isn't an ordered set called an array? Well, sort of, except the fact that an array does not guarantee uniqueness, whereas a set does. Oh, right. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, so if I put in, you know, the letter A twice, well, the set maintains the fact that it, it you know, is uniquely just a singular A entry. But if I put in B follow or sorry A followed by B followed by C, not going to guarantee that they'll come right back out the same way. And there are cases where it actually would be kind of nice to maintain that um, ordering and, and order it set. Uh, it's kind of a happy medium for both. So that'd be nice. I'd love to see that. Uh, sorted arrays is, uh, as far as I can tell, it looks like it, it just sort of like automatically sorts um, alphabetically for you, which is I think a nice shortcut for uh, a use case that a lot of people would end up using, but mm-hmm. not a huge game changer. Uh, a real result type, which I think is something that probably every Swift project out there has implemented when you're dealing with, for example, API requests uh, over the network where you have a result of like, well, if it's, it's got to be one of two things, either there was a success and some sort of value has come back or there was an error and some sort of error case needs to be handled. It sort of formalizes that a little bit. But uh, that one's not as big because odds are pretty good that people have written it themselves. But on the other hand, I'm kind of of the notion of like, well, if everybody's writing this thing for themselves and it pretty much functions the same way, it would be kind of nice to see the platform officially supported itself. Uh, localized 
array joins is something that I think is kind of nice where in the example they have here, it's uh, an array of sort of names like Peter, Jane, and Mummy2. And you can have it print out a localized join of those that will say Peter, comma, Jane, comma, or Mummy2, which if Greg's listening to this, that is in fact using the Oxford comma, which I think all sorts of wonderful human beings enjoy. I enjoy the Oxford comma myself, but I'm not going to be a huge uh, sort of uh, have a hang up about that. Moving on down the list here, there are things that uh, getting into the command line aspect, uh, launching processes or working with temporary files that by golly really are temporary. Like from what I'm reading here, uh, it instantiates a file and by golly, that file gets immediately deleted once your method returns or your loop ends and gets out of scope. That's kind of cool. Also some utilities to manage uh, semantic versions, semantic versioning being stuff like uh, major, minor, and revision. So like 1.2.3 sort of uh, version you got for APIs or you could have for, I don't know, something like a zip file naming scheme, whatever you might have. And then also uh, argument parsing and uh, a progress bar that will show up in the command line on lots of other utilities that be kind of useful. So again, uh, all sorts of caveats around this not being a stable API. It's not like a release of uh, foundation that you would get through iOS or macOS, you know, that sort of thing, Cocoa Touch. This is going to be a little bit more fluid because it's not um, like an officially supported thing. It's stuff that Apple has built as part of the Swift package manager itself. But you can also make use of this yourself. Nice. So when is the Swift package manager coming to us availability-wise? I mean, it is available. It's just not um, quite as ready for prime time in terms of seamlessly being available through Xcode. And I'm hoping it will become an eventual replacement for um, you know Cocoa Pods at the very least. Uh, it'd be nice to see that get Sherlock to have something like officially supported by Apple. Um, right. I don't know. I, I think there's still a lot more to do with regards to Swift and how it packages up things into something like, um, well, a really good example, depending on how you feel about this, is I think the, the Java world sort of had this solved a long time ago with the way that the Eclipse Foundation would run uh, Maven repositories, for example. It's like, well, everybody uses you know this crypto library. Great. It's hosted here. You need to pull in that crypto library because you're doing crypto stuff. You pull in that sort of thing versus now where you're either um, sort of rolling your own, heaven forbid, or you're like, oh, well, I guess I got to use the crypto cocoa pod. Let me go do this not officially supported process to pull in this third-party library right, yeah. for all of the paint yeah. that goes through. At the very least, having something officially nicely supported that doesn't blow up every time Xcode changes a version or a new iOS version comes out. That'd be great. And of course, I don't know if you mentioned this, but this po- this blog post is by Two Straws or Paul Hudson, which we had, he was a guest we had on uh, Roundabout a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned the name. I didn't know Two Straws. Is that what you said? Is that the, the user? Yeah, his, that's his um, his Twitter handle. Yeah, apparently he always had two straws when he was a kid. All right. So we have a pick for Mark. Yeah, my pick is the Apple Visitor Center at Apple Park. So this past weekend, uh, I and uh, co-host in front of the show, Greg Heo, made a pilgrimage over to visit the, the new Visitor Center, which is which is now open at Apple Park. Uh, it's actually only about five miles from where I live. Uh, Greg came down from San Francisco, which is about uh, 40 to 50 miles away from here, and, and we headed over there. Uh, it's actually pretty cool. So I, I strongly recommend that if you ever get into the area that you stop by and give it a visit. It's uh, it's a relatively small building directly across the street from the main campus of the Apple Park, you know, the giant spaceship building. Uh, you can't actually go inside that building unless you're an Apple employee, but this one is open to the public. Uh, it's, a, it's a two-story building. It's all glass uh, all around, so you can see inside and see out when you're inside uh, and, uh, with, uh, you know, it's glass with, with wood. It's very, very nicely architected. It looks it looks almost like the, the spaceship in the architecture, except much more 
smaller and rectangular. Uh, the first floor has three sections. Uh, the middle section, which is the largest section, is an Apple store. And uh, it's it's a you know it's as big as any of the other big Apple stores that I've seen. Although it seemed to me that they don't have as much stuff. It was a little bit more spread out than normally are. It still has all the tables in the normal way that an Apple store would have. Uh, but but there's because all the walls are, are glass, they don't have a lot of stuff hanging on the walls. And so it doesn't seem like there's as much stuff there. But but if you need you know if you need a laptop or a, or a phone, you can absolutely get uh, on uh, on one side of the store is a uh, kind of an interesting uh, AR thing. There's a they have a model of a, a physical model uh, of the of the spaceship building, and when you walk in, there's lots of friendly people around everywhere who employees. They they give you an iPad uh, running an AR app, an augmented reality app, and if you use the iPad to look at the model, the model is is very bare bones, but when you look at it, you can see all sorts of trees and cars driving around in the parking lots and things like that. And you can tap on the roof of each each building and lift it up, and and you can look inside and see what's going on in there. Uh, you can see the main building. You can see the Steve Jobs Theater. You can even see the seats in the amphitheater inside the theater. Uh, you can even see the app, the Apple Visitor Center in the AR uh, and sort of a meta thing. You're kind of looking down at where you would normally be if uh, you were actually rendered in the in the AR, which you're not sure what that would be. So that yes, yeah, so that's kind of a cool thing. And then on the other side of the Apple Store is a cafe, uh, which has uh, you know it's basically a coffee shop, and they have all sorts of chocolate-based snacks, mostly with pads. So it's kind of, kind of a cool thing. Uh, then there's stairs. You go upstairs, and the whole second floor is kind of just an open area. Uh, there's some you know, benches, and, and and it's all glass, and you can kind of look out and look over at the, the main campus. You can't see a whole lot because you're lower down than the height of the campus, and it's across the street. But at least you kind of get a feel for what's going on over there without you know, looking through traffic on the street, taking what's going on. So yeah, it's a real cool place. There were, like I said, there's lots of friendly people there answering questions. They were they were coming over to us and asking, you know, uh, if they could tell us stuff. And they all had different stories about about their experiences uh, in the, the during the construction phase and uh, and how they ended up there. So yeah, it's just a overall a real interesting thing. If you're if you're an Apple fan, which you probably are, if you're listening to this podcast, it's absolutely for sure worth worth a visit. Cool. Do you guys take lots of pictures, or you're not allowed to take pictures in there? Uh, no, you can take you can take as many pictures as you want inside the visitor center. Uh, oh. Obviously, you can't go into the main campus, uh, and so there's no pictures of that. But yeah, you can do whatever you want inside the visitor center. So is this is this where they did the the event, or is the Steve Jobs Theater somewhere else? So the the Steve Jobs Theater is across the street. Uh, it's it's kind of right. It's it's next to the the main building. Uh, so this is set off. I mean, technically, it's still part of Apple Park, but it's it feels separate because it's across the street and there's not really much Apple stuff on on this side of the street. On the other side of the street, it's it's just all the the big building and the and Steve Jobs Theater and Park Rogers for, for the campus. But this feels a little bit separate. I think they probably did that on purpose because this is the one that's open to the public, a little bit offset. So yeah, so no, this is not this is not theater. This is just a purely a, vis- a visitor center. Cool. Yeah. yeah, Mark, what did you what did you guys eat and drink and all that sort of stuff? Any any selections? Any picks within the pick? Uh, I mean, it's you know we had we each had a coffee uh, and it was pretty much your standard coffee. I can't uh, can't really recommend or not recommend the coffee. I didn't try any of the snacks. None of the uh, no round pizza or no souvenir cups or anything coming out of Apple Park. No, no, there was, there was nothing like that. Nothing like that. It, it was it was uh, for this kind of thing. It was surprisingly non packy at all. I'm not not surprising for Apple. It, it, it was classy. Uh, there were there were no big plastic cups with pictures of Steve Jobs or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> a beer hat with the Apple logo on it. 
that sort right. of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no Mac Pro beer kegs or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. That's a that's a winning idea, right? There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a small keg, though. Um, so I'm looking on the some pictures on Yelp. There's like, a, is there like a, a map there? Like, you, I think you talked about the AR, but there's like, is there like a model of the Apple yeah. campus there? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, yeah, okay. a full relief model. Uh, it's probably it's fairly large. It's probably it's yeah. a ten foot diameter thing on a big table, and you right. walk around it with these iPads and and oh, and it does the AR experience on there? And okay, the AR cool. Experiences through the iPad. Yep. So it puts in trees and stuff like that and yeah. whatever. And oh, okay, cool. Cars and people walking around. So. Oh, okay, I see. Right. Yeah. Is it animated or is it like like looks like real or whatever? It is animated. Uh, okay. It's you know it's I have to say you know the the AR experience was was it was cool. It it, it didn't blow me away. It wasn't mm-hmm. like wow, this is so amazing because there, there wasn't much you could do with it. It was cool for a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't you know it wasn't earth shaking, but it was cool. Cool. There's some neat aerial shots on the Yelp uh, page for the mm. visitor center. Lots of photos. Oh, there's like a T-shirt with the circle on it. <laughs> actually, there's actually a they have a web page for it. Here, post the link. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I'll see your link and I'll post in a link. So in this link, obviously people can't see it yet, but in this link, uh, it, the main picture you're looking into the cafe side. Mm. So on the other side of these two parallel uh, white walls is the Apple Store. And okay, yeah, yeah. Model in that main picture. Oh, but yeah. if you scroll down, scroll down, yeah, yeah. See the model right there. A huge. Yeah, it's pretty big. Interesting. It's like something you'd see out of a movie about future tech companies yeah. like this. <laughs> well, I'm sure that was the intention. Yeah. Just like something out of Black Mirror or The Circle or what's that uh, movie that was um, Tom Hanks and uh, Emma Watson. Hermione. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was The Circle. Mm-hmm. Was it The Circle? Okay, yeah, it's on Netflix uh, up here. I don't know about down there. Ooh, I need to check. I, I wanted to watch that one. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, cool. That's neat. All right, well, I guess that's it for the week, right? So, hey, Hami, if you people want to find you on the interwebs, wherever they look. I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, if people want to find you on the inter- interwebs. Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right. As usual, I am Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And we'll see you guys next week, hopefully. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. That was another MTJC episode for the History Books. I'm sometimes host and friend of the show, Greg Hio. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have questions or feedback, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes, recommending us to a friend, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website. That's mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. gearing up for the imminent uh, release of the movie and oh wait a minute oh, sorry that's star wars that's next week ignore that that's next week next week yeah yep. Yep. And, and yes we are gearing up for it yeah yeah well columbia is tomorrow columbia is making available hoth ice hoth ice planet jackets <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> so they have a line of jackets for uh for the i guess to go with the movie or whatever although i don't know are they going to go back to hoth or something i don't know i mean it's it's still well, like fan material right i guess i guess and if they're following the pattern of the, the last movie kind of modeled itself after the first movie episode four oh that's right? true oh right and, yeah good point and model itself after uh what is it Fire strikes back was that the second one mm-hmm. yeah, yeah mm-hmm. well there was a bit of snow in the end of um wasn't there snow in um the last movie uh when uh, uh, Ray and Finn and like, Kylo Ren are having that big sword fight just after he kills, spoiler warning, kills <laughs> Han Solo. Han Solo, sorry. Han Solo. Tammy doesn't like when they say Han Solo. Yeah, there, there actually is snow on the uh, Starkiller base. Mm-hmm. Starkiller, right. That's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, is that where they were? Okay, right. I think that's what it was called. See, this is why we need Jonathan to fact check the show as well. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, well, he would, I don't know. He would he'd enjoy it. So Jonathan's one of those people, you, you know that st- uh, Trivial Pursuit um, Star Wars version, you can't play that with him. You know, I, I didn't know there was such a thing. As Star but I, Wars But, I, but I guess I knew there was such a thing. <laughs> there had to be. Well, there's, there's like, there's yeah. like, there's like, um... Monopoly. Everything. Everything. But yeah. that Batman Monopoly, you mm-hmm. know, X-Men Monopoly. Probably Connect Four. Probably Yahtzee. Probably yeah. Ari and Shoots and Ladders like that. And now that Disney owns it, for sure, all these things will exist. Shoots and ladders. We talked about this before. It's snakes and ladders. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they have to translate it for you guys. Right, yeah. It's like like the, the Philosopher's Stone. Harry, mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, right? Because it couldn't possibly be a sorcerer. Uh-huh. Where am I? I'm looking for these notes. Give me a second. Yeah, well, you're finding the, the... I was going to say the Columbia jackets are, are great because they, they fit that fine line of you look like a normal human being. Being, you don't look like yeah. that's but for anybody who does know like holy smokes that's you know that's princess awesome. yeah, yeah that's luke skywalker that's han solo yeah yeah well here we better paste a link here so mark can see it right <laughs> let me get the link here hang on one sec i've got so i got myself a new microphone for for black friday mark oh nice which one yeah uh, i got the sure smb7 sm7b and was I that got the a, one you've been talking about the fancy one you've been talking about yeah yeah it was yeah. like five bills and then but it was 15 percent off on um, Black Friday, so mm-hmm. from one place that I know of, nobody else, nobody else is selling it. And then I got a little uh, eight-port mixer here, so I have a twenty-four-port mixer, but this one has a USB out that I can interface into the Mac. Mm-hmm. So I'm currently actually monitoring through my Yeti microphone, but um, I can see the the sound difference coming through the this here microphone here. Here I'll switch over to. Let me go to this panel over here. So this is the Yeti mic. Hear the difference? Yeah, that's the Yeti mic, and this is the SMB7 SM7B. I keep saying it wrong. Yep. So, and it's it's good because like it doesn't pick up you know all the sort of ambient noise around the room and whatever. And it's like literally a couple of inches away from my face too, right? So very direct. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I posted pasted a link in the notes there at the top there for the Columbia jackets, Mark. Oh, okay. Yeah. So actually, maybe I'll make that my pick. <laughs> I hate to tell you guys, but I'm not going to buy one of these. No. Well, <laughs> you, you don't think you need that kind of thing in Southern California? No. No. Oh. No, we don't. That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real shame. Real shame <laughs> i'm actually in the market for a new jacket which is kind of funny but i don't i, I don't know if i would wear white though right so and i don't i don't like the look of the long one so mm-hmm. uh, you're not I'm, innocent enough to wear white tim is that what you're saying no i mean well it's not really white it's kind of beige but i don't know i'm just not into yeah. that whole luke skywalker thing all right so what's oh he must be in the, the base there okay
He's charging my Apple Pencil. I have I, I misplaced my pencil. It's, it's been gone for like two months. <laughs> I was looking for a cable earlier and I found it. Oh, <laughs> did it like roll under the couch or something? <laughs> no, I put, I put it in a, I put it in one of my bags that I haven't used in a while. So yeah, yeah. See, that's I think yeah, the very thing you just described is a big. Um, I'm not going to call it a design flaw because it's not a design flaw per se, but I feel like it's a missed opportunity in the design of the Apple Pencil in that it does not seamlessly attach itself in some sort of way to the iPad Pro, so that Kind of like it does actually. No, no, it does. It, it has. It, it's. Uh, it's got a magnetic edge on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you, if you roll, if you ever see one on the table, just roll it, and you'll see that it's. It's kind of it wobbles when it rolls because it's got one strip of metal, so that when you lay it on the iPad, you know how the iPad has magnet stuff for the smart covers. It's. It sticks itself to the smart cover. It's not like clipped in per se, but it is enough that you could, you know, you could sort of keep it beside the iPad at all, at all times, sort of thing, right? Oh, really? See, I didn't know that i yeah i thought it wasn't um but it wasn't either magnetic or strong enough to hang on to the side of the thing yeah it is i mean you're not gonna you know if your dog walks by and knocks it well maybe your dog but if my dog walks <laughs> by and knocks it <laughs> it's not gonna stick right so yeah but i it's, it's what, what i said all along it's just sort of one of those things like it, it, there were a bunch of um kickstarter uh, projects were to make like little you know clips like you have like on a on a big pen to sort of keep it in place right mm-hmm. uh, yeah and it's it's a it's still kind of goofy to have to plug it into the end of the iPad to charge. Oh, it's 100% now. I can unplug it. Yay. So, Does it not have start... bespoke plug, like a like a quill pen sort of thing, like a fountain pen would have? Um, it, You mean for charging it? Yeah, yeah. Like a little uh, like a little pen stand, you know, like 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 a fountain pen would have, so it'll, it'll stand up. So not no, no. Uh, but it has, it has, it comes with this little um, little adapter that sort of it connects to the end of um, a lightning cable. So it's got like a, it's probably the smallest, um, second small uh, Apple product out there, and it's just—it just looks like um, it looks like a, a double-ended, like a, a female end on both sides of um, a lightning port, right? Oh, um, so it's a little dongle that that goes into a, a normal lightning cable, and then the back yeah, of the pen. We need, yeah, and so. yeah, one side one side is designed to go into the into the pen. I think that's the wrong side. Yeah, no, one side goes into the pen easily, and then the other one goes into lightning cable, and then you, you so you can charge your your pencil for off a lightning cable. So it's kind of weird, and it's got the world like and. And the serial number is printed on the the lightning um the lightning you know the the mail end that sticks out so it's kind of weird but yeah if you just you just rest it beside your um like at the edge of your iPad uh, it just sort of sticks there okay I've been but, thinking about investing in an Apple pencil um do you have a Pro Apple Pro I do I have the ten point five Pro and there's oh, okay yeah, been yeah. a few times where I've done some uh some diagrams on the Pro and it works okay with your finger but I would prefer yeah, to have the, yeah. the fidelity it's a bit, bit more precise right so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely, I mean, it's still expensive, but I mean, you know, a nice panel costs you that much too, right? So, and there, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good, cool stylus things out there. I've seen a couple of Kickstarter programs for uh, this new type of, you know, digital paper as well, not related to the iPad or the iPad pencil or Apple pencil at all, but same sort of idea where you've got like some sort of stylus and, you know, you can, you know, depending on the stroke, you can get wider or thinner, that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's funny. I, I, I kind of envisioned that there might be, I don't I really haven't looked to see if there's any more. Let's go to the let's go to the Apple Store and see if there's any or Mac apps. No, I guess it would be the iPad Store. Um, so by the way, if you guys pop open uh, at least on the web, yeah, and go to the Apple. Yeah, I, I put put a link in the in the yeah. Slack there. So if you go to picture fifty one of seventy four, yeah, they order the same way. Yeah, I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, hang on, fifty one of seventy four. I am on picture. What am I on picture? Thirty one. Oh, I can click browse all. Okay, uh, there's a page view you can go to. 
mark. Like if you hit browse all at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So what am I looking for? At number 51. It's an 61. aerial view of the building. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. See it now by okay. Patrick T. Uh, yes, Patrick T. Yeah. So, okay, obviously you see the main spaceship yeah, yeah. ring yeah. building. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, if you go to the right, there's the mm-hmm. there's the street going up, you know, north-south, right, or up and down in the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the visitor center is the one right in the middle of the picture on the other side of the street from the main ring. And you can see it's it looks, the roof looks a little different than the other buildings, right? You know, you can see the one I'm talking about. It's right by the right arrow. Yeah. That's the visitor center. Oh, okay. And then back on the same side of the street as the main ring, you yeah. see a little circular building. Yeah, that's the Steve Jobs Theater. That's the Steve Jobs Theater. If you go, if you go to, if you type in Steve Jobs Theater on the, mm-hmm. on the Apple Maps app, yep. it'll, it'll take you to this, uh, like a line drawing version of this, of this uh, map you're just talking about here. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I saw that earlier. And then if you, when you zoom out, you see the whole campus and you see the um, visitor center on the map. And, and I guess these are parkades for parking, these two big uh, oblong shapes. At the bottom of the South Park. Yeah. yeah. Those, are, those are the parking structures. Yes. It looks oh, like there's an underground. There's huh? a, there is also par- an underground parking structure. Yeah. Yeah. Because it looks well, like there's a tunnel. 12,000 people working there. You need yeah. Park, yeah. Especially in the South Bay where public transportation is not the best. Right. Right. Huh. And if you go ahead to 53, that's a sort of a close-up aerial view of Visitor Center. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The roof does look strange, doesn't it? Is it like a patio on top or something? Or it is, that... Yeah, it's a patio. Yeah, essentially. The whole second floor is pretty much a patio. Huh. That is the weirdest looking building in the world. The it's circular. Cool. The, I'm talking about the, uh, oh, the main, main campus. Building. Yeah. Yeah. When's liftoff? Uh, we asked. <laughs> they, they weren't sure, but soon they said. Oh, yeah. we also drove by, as part of the field trip, we drove by the second app camps. Oh, yeah. We yeah. And, and that's almost done too uh it's two small round smaller round buildings yeah yeah they look almost almost the same but they're of course way smaller mm-hmm. are they on the map here let's see apple maps this is just surreal <laughs> uh, okay so let's go back out so if i remember my driving <laughs> did direction. you ever read the i think it was the wired article where they talked about how they constructed various pieces of that like the the glass is like sp- yeah yeah are you there stress rods Uh-oh. in the world oh wow yeah interesting there was another number yeah. of you know, number of uh seats i guess it's not technically a restaurant but cafeteria yeah i think we better quit while we're ahead <laughs> <laughs> all right man i'll talk to you guys later okay bye, talk to you later. bye. bye. bye.